If you have your Bibles, please turn there. A psalm of lament, um, where the, the psalmist is crying out to the Lord for help and justice. And um, probably related to the destruction of the temple in 586 BC. And you know, like we can do with all of the Psalms, all of the scriptures, we find some way of relating to them, applying them. You know, anytime that we go through, uh, whether it's a man made disaster or it's a natural disaster, anytime we go through some type of a trauma, you know, uh, we can relate to what the psalmist is speaking of here, you know, just crying out to the Lord, you know, just in that place where we just, you know, there's no way that we can help ourselves, you know, there's no way that we can uh, seek justice for ourselves, you know, in a, in, a, in a time where maybe there's some, maybe it's a terrorist attack or something like that, where there's, you know, we just, someone comes against us and we really just have to look to the Lord and allow him to, to, to take care of that. And there are times when those things happen where we feel deserted, you know, where we feel that God has left us. You know, and and the, these, these psalms that relate to, the, to those kinds of things, we can be encouraged by, because God never leaves us or forsakes us. You know, and, you know, again, as in many psalms, we see sort of a moving f through different emotions. It moves here from mourning uh, over the situation to pleading with God to avenge and, and then to have faith and confidence in him. So we'll jump in in verses 1 through 4. A psalm of Asaph. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. Your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. The dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of the heavens. The flesh of your saints to the beasts of the earth. Their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to those who are around us. So you can see here, just in those four, four verses, you can, you can sense the, the tragedy and the despair um, uh, that was going on at that time. And the feelings of the people, you know, you know when the attack comes in, you know, you, you have to think back to those times where our country was attacked and just the sense, you know, that you get, the feeling that you get, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, how could this happen? You know, I remember thinking back at 9-11, at, at the most recent thing that we can think about in that regard. And it's just, you know, it, you, 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 there's rage, you know, and there's, there's all these emotions, there's sadness. And, um, and so this is what the psalmist is saying here. He's, you know, your holy temple, they have defiled. And if, you know, it's not, a, it's not as, as much in a, in a, you know, the buildings in Manhattan were one thing, but God's temple, you know, in Jerusalem, you know, where he met with his people there. So physical destruction in the city, uh, people died in that, in, in that uh, attack. And, you know, think about how many people would have to die that there wasn't enough there to even bury them, you know? So they had to leave. Many of the people were left in the streets. 
So uh, a real slaughter that took place then. Um, and you know, something that we can, we can think about, when something happens, you know, uh, we, we, these emotions come up, and uh, you know, sometimes we wonder if they're proper emotions. And you know, it's just the way, it's the way we're made, so it's human. You know, it's human to have those types of emotions. And then in verses 5 through 8, he goes on, How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us, for we have been brought low, very low. The question here when a disaster strikes is, where was God? You know, where was God when those things happened? For those who don't know him, and even for some who do know him, you know, they may feel that he has forsaken them, he has left, left them when this kind of thing happens. Um, and then the psalmist pleads for mercy, pleads for mercy. And, you know, that thing where you pray, God, I'm going through something really difficult right now. Please don't, don't remember those, those past sins. You know, give me, almost like give me a clean slate, Lord. I just need your mercy and grace now. I need your help, you know. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we come in and, we, you know, maybe we come in unrepentant, you know, in prayer. We come in with, with things that are going on in our lives that we're, you know, that aren't pleasing to God. You know, when we ask him to just wipe those things clean, you know, give us a fresh start, God. So, um, you know, something to think about, especially in the new year, just, you know, a, a clean slate, a fresh start, um, and, and then God, you know, we just pray for his mercy. And then continuing in verses 9 and 10, Help us, o, o God, of our salvation for the glory of your name, and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins, for your name's sake. See, it's not for our sake, it's for his sake. It's for his glory that he, that he forgives us. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants which has been shed. So again, when something happens to the people of God, the, the people who don't know God question, well, where was your God when, when that happened to you? Why are you in this situation? So for your glory, God, for your name, God, avenge, avenge us. For your glory, God, give us, uh, you know, restore us, deliver us. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you according to the greatness of your power. Preserve those who are appointed to die and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom their reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord. So again, the psalmist pleading here for mercy, uh, probably for those who were imprisoned at the time of the, uh, of the Babylonian conquest in 586 B.C. So just pleading um, for his mercy. So we, your people, and sheep of your pasture, we give, will give thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. So now he moves to a just anticipated deliverance. Just, you know, thinking about knowing the character of God and just thinking about, God, I know you're going to deliver me. I have confidence. 
I anticipate your deliverance. Because, why? Because he's our shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. And he, and he desires to protect us. So, you know, uh, the psalmist sees God in that place as shepherd. He sees us, his people, as, as the sheep and, and that relationship that beautiful relationship between, between uh, the father and his children. Um, psalm 80. Psalm 80 is a psalm of prayer for Israel's restoration. Psalm of prayer for Israel's restoration. And uh, we can relate to this because how many times we find ourselves separated from God because of our sin, because of our disobedience, and, you know, having a sense that we need God's mercy and we need restoration back into that relationship. You know, the request for restoration in this psalm is repeated several times. And it gave me the idea as I was studying it that, you know, how many times we have to go back to the Lord again and again and ask for, the, for restoration or for forgiveness or from the same sins over and over again. So this, the psalmist here is relating that in this, where several times over and over again he'll ask for rest, restoration. And, you know, God wants to forgive. God wants to restore. You know, and he's always there for that. And in Ezekiel 33.11, it says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn away from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? So this is God's heart. God's heart is for, for us to turn from our evil ways, from our, from our sin, and turn to him. So we see that in, in that verse. Um, verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 80, we'll, we'll jump in here. To the chief musician, set to the lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. Restore us, O God, cause, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved." So Psalm 79 ends, and we see that relationship of uh, shepherd to his flock. 70, Psalm 80 begins. Here it says in, 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 the, in verse 1, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. We see that relationship continued through to the next psalm. So obviously that, that the psalmist recognized that relationship and, and wanted to express it again. And why? Because at like sheep, we go astray. Like sheep, we wander. Like sheep, unless the shepherd, you know, is, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, you've heard of the expression where when a sheep continues to wander, a shepherd will maybe break their legs and carry it to keep it close to him, you know? So, so that's just the way we are. You know, we tend to wander away. Our wandering hearts separate us from him. And then the psalmist here sees God's place in the midst of the Ark of the Covenant. He says there, 
that you dwell between the cherubim. So God's holiness. And what is that spot on the Ark of the Covenant? That's the, that's the mercy seat where God's presence is. And, and why does he want to express that? Well, just like us, we desire his mercy. We need his mercy. So we want to see God as merciful. So when we see him between the cherubim, you know, on the, in the Ark of the Covenant, on that mercy seat, it reminds us of his grace, reminds us of his mercy. And then in verse 3, the first request here for restoration and salvation. The word, the Hebrew word here for restore is shuv, shuv. It means to return or to give back or to turn back. And it's not just the idea of restoration, but the, but the idea also of, of repentance. You know, repentance, which means to turn, to, to turn the opposite direction from where we are going. So, again, restore us, O oh God, but as we repent and turn from our sin, that, re- that relationship will be restored. O oh, oh Lord God of hosts, verse 4, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in great measure. You have, you have made us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. So, again, the same verses uh, repeated. Another plea for restoration. But why? What were they going through? But they were suffering the consequences of their own sin. They were suffering those consequences. And then they were complaining to God. Now, Sometimes we'll do the same thing. You know, we'll, we'll, there'll be sin in our lives. There'll be consequences of those sins. There'll be things that we, that we have caused ourselves. And then we'll complain to God when we're going through some difficulties. So, you know, we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be complaining to God when, when the situation we find ourselves in is of our own making. It says in Isaiah 59 too, your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So it's not his desire, but it's, it's what happens as a consequence of our sins. And then in verses 8 through 16, it says, You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You have prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root. And it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its bows. She sent out her bows to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit? The the boar out of the woods uproots it and the wild beast of the field devours it. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted, and the branch that you made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down, they perish at the rebuke of your countenance. So we see here the metaphor that is used in this psalm of a vine 
for the nation of Israel. And it, it was a common way of expressing that relationship between God and his people. You know, he, he cultivated and he nurtured and he, and he fed and he watered. But there were so many times where they did not bear fruit. You know, it's, um, it's just, it's God's desire that we bear fruit. It says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? He who abides in me, Jesus said, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So the desire for God, for us to remain close to him so that we can bear fruit. And, you know, he, he needed to express that through the psalmist, that, that he wanted them to be fruitful. And it was, it was because they were sinning that they weren't bearing fruit. God is the owner of the vineyard. And think about it, he made it possible, he gave them everything to make it possible for them to be fruitful and productive. He makes it possible for us to be fruitful because he's given us everything that we need for spiritual success. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. And yet, many times we reject it. So, you know, staying close to Jesus it says in Isaiah 5, listen to this picture of the vineyard that God, that God paints through the prophet. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. And I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are its pleasured, pleasant plant. He looks for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. So God's heart, we see God's heart broken there because he's given, he gave the nation everything they needed. You know, he planted, he, he, he cultivated the ground, he watered it. He prun and that part of that is pruning, the pruning process. You know, anyone who's a gardener knows that to bring forth fruit, or flowers, that there's a certain way that the plant needs to be pruned. And part of that is, is, uh, you know, is, is how it grows and produces fruit. So God's heart you know, wants us to produce fruit, wants us to remain close to him. And then finishing up in the psalm, let your hand be upon the man of your, uh, of your right hand, and upon the son of man, who you made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. 
Restore us, O God, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. The third plea for restoration. Again, that repetitive plea for God, for that relationship to be restored and for his hand to be upon us to empower us to do what he's called us to do, to live a life that's pleasing to him because his hand needs to be upon us for that. And then moving on to Psalm 81. Um, Psalm 80 was a plea for Israel's restoration. Psalm 81 is a prayer for Israel's repentance. So we see they're connected here, repentance and restoration. Repentance comes before restoration. In order for us to have that relationship restored, even in human relationships, you know, where there needs to be that, that, uh, that forgiveness, there needs to be that repentance, that, that uh, sorrow for what we've done, if we've sinned against someone else, and then that relationship can be brought back and restored uh, the, way it's, the way it should be. Uh, the psalm was probably used, Psalm 81 was probably used in some of the feast celebrations, uh, especially in these first uh, verses, the Feast of Tabernacles. If you want to see the feasts, go, uh, Leviticus 23 gives a list of the Jewish feasts, and you can see what was required during some of these feasts. So um, Psalm 81 was probably one of those that was used at that time. So in verses 1 through 4, to the chief musician on an instrument of gath, a psalm of Asaph, sing aloud to God our strength, make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob, raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute, blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon on our solemn feast day, for this is a statute for Israel a law of the God of Jacob. So we can see right there he's speaking about uh, the, the worship team uh, getting together and just praising the Lord, all different instruments, um, and that feast day that was a celebratory feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, you know, Leviticus 23 um, speaks about that in, uh, in verses 23 through 25. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made of fire to the Lord. So that feast that, uh, that the psalmist is speaking of. And then in verses 5 through 9, we see that uh, in, even in the midst of captivity, um, God still wanted to be the God of Israel. It says in verse 5, This he established in Joseph as a testimony. He went throughout the land of Egypt where I heard a language I did not understand. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign god among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. So when they were imprisoned in, in Egypt, forced to uh, extreme labor under very difficult conditions, but God removed them and he brought them 
into the promised land and he brought them in a free people. And, you know, he gave them laws, but he also gave them freedom. You know, and the laws were for their own good. So, uh, and if they followed the laws, it would have kept them from a lot of difficulty. But they didn't follow his laws. He speaks of, uh, of deliverance in times of trouble in these verses. Verse 7 reminds us of, of God's faithfulness. It says, you called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. And then in verse 8, we see a warning here that they were not to worship other gods. You know, coming out of, of slavery into the land of promise, surrounded by other nations, opportunities to sort of see the world. Um, and like we are given here, you know, we're, we're in the world. We're not supposed to be of the world, the Bible says. But there are so many there are so many opportunities for us to walk away from God. So God here is giving them a warning not to worship other gods. And it could be a God of, uh, you know, like today, you know, gods of money or power or fame or, or fortune or, uh, you know, our work becomes a God. You know, uh, a lot of things we can put in place of God, but he wants to be number one. And he desires to bless us. You know, he desires to bless us. But uh, sometimes we, uh, you know, when we sin, we, his, his blessings are withdrawn. Verses 10 through 15 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people would not hear my, heed my voice and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. See, God allows us to make our own choices, and many times we make destructive choices to our relationship with him. He doesn't force us. You know, he gives us free, a free will to make those decisions. You know, and, and it says there that in verse 12, so I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Eventually, God will say, if that's really the way you want to go, I'm just going to release you to that. You know, Romans 1 speaks of it three different times. Uh, says in verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So he gives us up to those things that we, we if we desire it more than him, he's going to allow that. In verse 26 in Romans 1, it says, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. And in verse 28, it says, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So we see here that God, God does not force us. You know, he places those things before us. He gives us free choice. And, and we make sometimes, we make very poor choices sometimes. 
He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat, verse 16, and with the honey from the rock, I would have satisfied you. The thought here is that God would have blessed them, would have blessed them if they would only obey, if they would only have remained faithful to him. And the same is true for us today. God desires to bless us if we would seek him. It says in Matthew uh, 6, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Not to seek the things of the world, but to seek God first. So, you know, sometimes it's out of fear, you know, that, that, that we, want, we want to try to hang on to everything in the world, not, not really trusting you know, that God is going gonna, is gonna to provide. And so we sort of hang on to things. And what God is saying here is, is, you know, give of yourself to me and watch and see how I bless you. I love, I love Malachi 3. It says here, to bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now. You see, God says, test me. Test me to see if I'm faithful. He says, try me now in this. This is Malachi 3, verses 10 through 12. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Think about that. Think about that. If we only trusted God for our provision and gave of ourselves in whatever way he's, he's telling us to, and just wait, wait and see how God will bless so you know, that's, that's an encouragement um, when, we, when we tend to sort of hang on to things and God wants us to, to give them to him. Psalm 82, uh, it's only a few verses, so we'll get through that. Psalm 82, a plea for justice. A plea for justice. We, we saw restoration in Psalm 80. We saw repentance prayer for repentance in Psalm 81, and now in Psalm 82, a plea or a a prayer for justice. And, you know, they're speaking, we look around us in the world and we see a lot of unjust things going on. We see a lot of corruption in the world. And, you know, we pray, uh, you know, a lot of new leaders were inaugurated today, you know, and we, we have, you know, we have elections and we vote for new people and, you know, we see those leaders get into office and we trust that they're going to do the right thing. And, and then they turn out to be corrupt or they turn out, out to be only in, in it for their own, you know, advancement in, in power and not really for the people. And, and then we turn to them to take care of the needy and the poor. And that's probably, that might be the worst thing that we can do because we see that government really can't, man can't solve those types of problems. Now think about how long the war, of, uh, uh, war on poverty has been going on, almost 50 years, almost 50 years, and $15 trillion spent to eradicate, President Johnson expected to eradicate poverty in this country and it's almost at the same place that it was in 1964. It's almost there. I mean, in numbers, it's much greater. We think about 40 million people on food stamps and, and you know, 10% of the population, 15% almost, actually, beneath the poverty level. 
So we look to government, we look to man to solve these problems. And you know what 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 we find out is that it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. So the psalmist is saying here that God is gonna judge these world leaders. God is gonna judge them. Because they they actually make the situation worse instead of better, especially for those who who can't do for themselves. So it says here in verses one, uh, in verse one, a psalm of Asaph, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. And you see, uh, gods with a little g, probably he means leaders, world leaders, kings and, and presidents and, uh, and senators. And he judges. See, he's sovereign. So imagine this meeting. God brings all of the world leaders throughout history before him. And he's just. He's perfect. And he starts to go down and he starts to just name all of the times that they were corrupt and that they could have done something but desired to do something selfish. And so God will judge. He stands in the congregation of the mighty, brings the world leaders into an assembly in order to judge them for how they've dealt with the people over the years. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. See, this is what they were supposed to do. This is what we we think that we're electing people to do, to care for those who are less fortunate. And yet, God's going to judge them. He's going to bring accusation against them because they favor the wicked. They favor the rich over the poor and the needy. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. Because of their unjust rule, because of the corruption of the world leaders, the nations are unstable. I mean, think about the economic situation in the world. The worldwide economy has been unstable for many years now. And people in the world are struggling you know, just to, stay, just to stay afloat. And then we see people in the developing world that are just still struggling for their basic needs. And yet there's been years and millions and, and billions of dollars spent on those things. So we see God's going to judge. And then in verse 6 and 7, he says, I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. So, you know, you may have a position, you may have power, and you may, you may feel that you're you know, above the, just the regular person on the street, but you're going to die just like any other man. You know, you're nothing special. You think you are, but you aren't. Um, and in Romans 13.1, because it, sa- it says there that uh, you know, the leaders are ordained by God. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So God knows. You know, he, he's, he's allowed leaders to get into office, and then they make these decisions. You know, they make these choices. 
and a lot of times they're not for the good of the people. So, uh, finishing up, arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. You know, in the future, you know, we see God setting up his kingdom, his righteous kingdom, his perfectly just system, you know, and we, you know, we pray for that. The psalmist prays for that too. Um, justice and equality uh, on the earth. And, um, and the lesson here in this psalm is not to look to man to solve our problems, you know, but uh, understand that, you know, until, until Jesus returns, we're going to probably continue to have these kinds of things. And probably a lot of the situations are going to get worse, but we keep that in prayer. And we do what we can, too, as a body, you know, to do what, to do what government isn't doing, you know, to reach out to the, to the less fortunate. So let's pray. Father, we thank you.